Hey y'all, you're listening to Damsels in Detroit, the podcast all about women from the city that are killing it in their industries. I'm your host, Evan Webb. Each week, I invite a damsel to come on and talk with me about their life, careers, and why Detroit girls do it better. Hey y'all, we're back. Another episode of Damsels in Detroit. So I lied to you last week and I said last week was episode 45. And technically it was, but we have to re-record one of the episodes. So this is going to be episode 45 and just consider last week as 44. Okay. (laughs) Now that we have that out of the way, I am really excited because I've actually wanted this person on my podcast for a while, but just, you know, timing wasn't right, but we're here now. Here we are. Here we are. So I'm sitting here with Adria Moses and I feel like a lot of you know a lot about her, but going to read her bio and then we'll get into our questions. Adria Moses is a trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness practitioner based in Detroit. Diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of 12, Adria spent most of her young adult life seeking relief from chronic pain, depression, and severe anxiety. The journey gratefully led Adria to the practice of yoga, and she has chosen to share that healing, offering the reminder that healing is possible no matter what your circumstances are or were. Hello. Hello. I took that from your website. Thank you so much <laughs> because that's like the standard. Yeah. I'm like this is perfect. Like she don't need to send me anything else. I'll just. I'll I appreciate it. that. I really do. Thank you. You're welcome. How are you today? I am so lovely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, we have lots to talk about. We were just rambling before we press record. So let's just continue that conversation. Lovely. <laughs> Um, So as I just mentioned in your bio, you are a trauma-informed yoga practitioner. So can you explain what it means to be trauma-informed and how does that guide you and what your practices look like? Absolutely. So um, I am a trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness practitioner. And to be trauma-informed essentially means that you address the root of the human. And so in our practices like breath work, yoga, yoga, guided meditation, what we're facilitating is self-regulation. And in facilitating self-regulation, we're promoting trauma recovery. And so we teach, speak, do from a trauma-informed lens, um, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, and we speak in a trauma-informed language. And this can look like many different things, right, depending on your profession, um, but essentially we, we gain a fundamental understanding of how just like our facial expressions, like the tone of our voice, like our demeanor can trigger someone mm-hmm. and how we can better create like safe, truly safe environments. Not like, you know, this is a safe space. You know, right. y'all heard of the safe, safe spaces, brave Buzz spaces, <laughs> you know, it's not a safe space if it's not a trauma informed space. Okay. It couldn't be because you need to understand how the brain works and really understand what trauma does to the mind and the body, like in conjunction. Mm-hmm. So that's a long form since we have time. Yes, we have time. <laughs> so speaking of trauma, because I feel like everybody has some type of different, whether it's you know high level or maybe it was something small and subtle, sure. but do you teach everyone kind of the same practices? Like are the same practices pretty general like are they for everyone or do you have to kind of differentiate based on what that person has like been through or is going through 
So one thing about like being trauma informed is like we're not doctors, we're not therapists. Right. So we don't actually address anyone's trauma from like a talking space. So okay. I never I don't necessarily learn someone's trauma. I might learn it later on as they become my student and they okay. open up to me or my friend. But it's safe to assume that everyone has had trauma and this is why. So you just mentioned like small things, little things. Just for purposes of like really understanding it, trauma is anything that disrupts the nervous system. Okay. Okay. So you could have gotten into a car accident. You could have been sexually assaulted. Those things could have disrupted the nervous system at the same capacity. Okay. Um, the imprint it has on your brain. It depends on how resilient you are. It depends on how severe that trauma was, like how long did it go on. Mm -hmm. um, so there's branches like chronic trauma, you know, um, acute traumas. Okay. But we just want to observe it as like anything that disrupts the nervous system. And so the one thing I love about being trauma-informed and what I love about mindfulness is that it, it applies to everyone mm -hmm. because everyone has a nervous system, everyone has a brain, mm -hmm. Um, everyone can breathe if they're alive, um, well assuming. Right. Um, and everyone can listen unless they would need, um, of course, like translation. If you are deaf, you know, you need a, a, but being trauma informed would apply in that area as well, too. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And so um, I think that answered the first part of your question. I forgot the second. Um, so you. how you kind of go about how you teach yeah. different people. Yeah. So it really because it's. Because it's self-regulation, you teach it You teach it the same way to everyone. Okay. Um, and understanding what self-regulation is is basically just like disruption happens in your nervous system. Mm -hmm. How quickly can you tap into the breath? And the breath allows you to tap into a part of your nervous system that promotes rest, digestion, ease, okay. and things of that nature. Okay. Um, and just self-regulating like... Like we were talking before we got in here about just being in quarantine. Like mm -hmm. a lot of us were self-regulating at a rate that we probably weren't aware of. Right. We were on autopilot, but our bodies will naturally do that for us or mm -hmm. they'll stay in a fight, flight or freeze right. state. Um, and sometimes we're always in that fight, flight or freeze and we're kind of coping mm -hmm. and calling it, you know self-care yeah. you know we're, we're calling it these things but that's not really what it is really what it is because we're not getting to the root okay right oh okay so okay you're... now that's why we call it radical healing okay. now i oh. never I, I i didn't say it was gonna be cute or easy <laughs> but i did say um that it works so what did your quarantine look like like was it a lot of self-reflection were you by yourself <clears throat> did you have you know, a quarantine, as I like to call it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Did you yep, have someone yep, there yep. with you? What did it look like for you? Um, So I live alone, okay. and I was alone. I was dating someone going into quarantine. Okay. So after, like, the time had elapsed that you could, you know, whatever, we saw each other every once in a while. Okay. But we really weren't even comfortable doing that. Like, I know someone in his family ended up passing away from COVID. Okay. Like, it was a lot. Um, But quarantine for me... You know, back in 2013, when I had my surgery, mm -hmm. I was hospitalized for two months. Okay. So I lived in the hospital for two months. Mm -hmm. It was my it was my home. Mm -hmm. Like and when quarantine came about, something in me 
that had developed because of what I have already endured came up. So like before we went on lockdown, like a week before, Mm -hmm. I had decided not to go back to the yoga studio because I didn't feel comfortable. Right. And then the next day I put out that I would teach a live on IG live. And then it happened like the next day and it was great. And then as that went on, I was like, people really need to be breathing right now. Yeah. They really need to be self-regulating in a way that is, doesn't involve drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, all the all of the things. So especially if we got to be up in here Listen. for this long, yeah. right? Because that's really the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so quarantine looked like definitely getting to know, like, my inner child, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, but also, like, putting to work what I have been talking about for years now. Okay. So before quarantine, what I was doing in the city looked like just yoga, but what I was trying to get people to understand was the trauma-informed part. Mm-hmm. And when COVID happened, it was almost like it got forced to the front because now people were understanding trauma on a global right. level in the United States. Mm-hmm. Because we live in a bubble, right? Like, there's trauma. We turn on the news. We know what's right. happening um, in Africa. We know what's occurring in other you know, countries and continents. But we don't really like, it's like an indirect trauma. Right. And so now here we are Mm -hmm. experiencing it in real time. So I just started to teach. I literally implemented a schedule as if I was going to the studio, but my living room was my studio. Right. One thing I always craved when I would teach in studio was that I would practice with my students so that they could see see what it could look like instead of looking at each other, kind of have one focus, right? Because everyone's kind of looking around. So during quarantine, I became, I became the demonstrator and Mm -hmm. the teacher. And that really benefited me because I was in practice. Okay. I'm meditating now every day. I'm making, I'm healing myself. And that's how quarantine was healing for me. It was difficult sometimes as healing should be, Mm -hmm. but it was like, a relief to kind of like get a break mm-hmm. um, from the r- ripping and the running. Right. And for me, like my body has been through severe trauma and I never really got a break after that. Okay. I kind of had to get right back into the world mm-hmm. and into working. So for me, it was like uh, my family got closer. Okay. You know, things were were good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always say like nothing is either good or bad. It like is because the world was suffering simultaneously. We right. we entered the anti-racism era. Girl. Didn't see it coming. <laughs> so didn't see happened. it coming. Okay. Listen. Still having to work and like talk to, still talk to them to, about okay. it. Like, hello. Having to do the labor. <laughs> one okay. of your black employees. Let me tell you how I'm feeling right now. Right. I don't think you're understanding. Right. Having to do more labor. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And you let go one of your partnerships. Um because you were a Lulu Lemon ambassador. Yeah. I know. And you were like, y'all not really doing what you said you were going to do. So, you know, you know what sent me about it? Because so many people were like, well, what did you expect? What do you expect from Lululemon? What people missed, this is what they missed. Mm-hmm. Tell us. When Ahmaud Aubrey got murdered, mm-hmm. um, there was a run campaign that Lululemon was launching just on schedule. Okay. And they used the hashtag run with a mod for the campaign. Okay. George Floyd dies. Mm 
Now, I was already planning to step down because this is another aspect that I didn't share in my stepping down, like when I came out like on my IG page. But mm-hmm. I had been on a on an ambassador call a few weeks before where I was mocked by a white man on the call Mm-mm. because I basically, I just needed to understand what the call was for because he was talking about his three rental properties and okay. we, there were people on the call losing their studios. I was right. teaching, I was paying my rent via donations okay. on IG live, you know? So I just asked him, you know, like, is this a meeting for you or for the ambassadors? And he kind of mocked me. Mm-hmm. And I knew in that moment, like, how I had, like, a visceral reaction in my body. Yeah. And there was no one I could check in with. Um, I'm the only black woman. That is hard. Um, <laughs> there's one other black man, but he very he was off camera, okay. not interested in, in it at all. And so I had this visceral reaction. I knew then I was going to step down, but... One thing that a lot of people know about me is like I I follow spirit. Like I'm very moved by like being things being downloaded into me as opposed to me calculating or premeditating. So I just got word to wait. Yeah. And then, you know, George Floyd died and was murdered. And I waited like half of the week. Like I waited like two or three days to see okay, are they going to say something? Mm-hmm. Like, the country was outraged. Like, right. it was it was insane, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like you don't get to choose which black and brown persons you use to right. bolster sales, mm-hmm. essentially, because their bottom line is sales. Right. Even if it's a run campaign, it's super inspirational. That's nice. Mm-hmm. You don't get to do that. Not, that's not how this works. Right. It's very apathetic. Um, kind of insidious mm-hmm. to me um, personally, how it made me feel. And I just, you know, I let them know politely in an email. And I also have always felt in my connection with the brand that I, like they didn't necessarily know who they were asking okay. to be an ambassador. Mm-hmm. It was like I fit the bill of like palatable enough. And I talk about this a lot mm-hmm. as a light-skinned, biracial, half-white mm-hmm. woman, like, I benefit, so it's like she's she's black enough, but they didn't really realize like who you were. You at the core. <laughs> you got the wrong one, yeah. okay? And I'm about to blast you. Right. So they ended up um, donating 150k, which turned into 250k okay. after I stepped down. Um, but really, more so, what I'm looking for from like conglomerates like Lululemon that are predominantly white. Mm-hmm is anti-racism work at its core because they're in the communities in which like they're actively oppressing right in their like even if you are a liberal you know like the this idea you know like the hidden kind Mm -hmm. the hidden kind and so um you know because i've built a yoga program out of downtown boxing gym through lululemon right um, and those are the same people that you are active, you're, you're actively engaging in their oppression, mm-hmm. but coming to do your community work, right? which is really just, you know, a marketing scheme. Absolutely. There's always a ploy. There's and I hate, ploy. I hate that there is one, but at the end of the day, I mean, there is. like it, you said, sales is what 
you know, that's really what it boils down to. It's a retail company. Yeah. I've worked a lot of retail, so I understand. <laughs> and it's like, we're yeah. going to do this because it looks good. Or yeah. everybody else is doing it. Such and such did it. So I think it's time that we. It's, it's very like, unintentional. And yeah. I, you know, one thing I learned in quarantine, because I grew the most. This is the most I've grown. Mm-hmm. This is my first full year of entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, before that, I was part time mm-hmm. and I had a full time job. Um, I would say a full-time plus job. Okay. And this, for me, this was like my business scaled in a matter of six months. Okay. And it had nothing to do with the brand. And I realized, like, I was growing without them. So why was I lending my likeness? And I just realized, like, how valuable we are. Like, even if I was just palatable enough, like, they need us like they needed me and even if they don't realize like what is important they still need Mm -hmm. this insight and so I feel like the biggest thing because a lot of people are like you should have got that money I said what benefit would that have been for our collective right that's the point of like I me stepping down from Lululemon was not a loss Mm -hmm. everyone was looking at it like an L yeah and I was like how right How? I did not look at it that way at all. I was very like, I am happy. (laughs) I am proud. I'm like grateful that you felt like, you know what, as great as an opportunity or, you know. It wasn't as great. That's what I'm saying. Right. Or like how other people would perceive it, right? Because it's such a big brand. It's a big brand. Right. And that's a lot of, like a lot of people put... But let me just tell you, babies, it is not what it what it is chalked up to be. That's yeah. why I don't do, and you know this about me, like I don't do a lot of work with a lot of brands. Mm-hmm. That's not saying I won't or I wouldn't. Right. But the alignment, it has to make sense. It has to make sense. I, I always tell people that like want to get into blogging or influencer work, like if you just solely do it for the money, it's always going to show. Yes, it's absolutely. Always, everybody is going to be able to be like, oh, she just... You know, started blogging a month ago, and all she right. really cares about is like hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor. Right. But like, it's okay to say no because every opportunity is not an opportunity for you. It's not a good opportunity. Like, I've had to tell people no. I've like unfollowed brands that I like loved before, right. you know, all of this stuff started going down, and you start hearing about like different horrible practices that they were making on the corporate level or even right. within the stores. It's like, why should I give you any more of my money? If you don't respect me. Yeah, like, I, yeah, and that's that's my biggest thing is, like, the veil has been lifted. Mm-hmm. And my thing is you pick and choose who you, who you want to support. My right. biggest thing is just that we don't need, like, I don't need Lululemon to co-sign me in order to be successful. Exactly. I actually needed them to be removed for me to be more successful. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, like, sometimes your L, like, sometimes the L look like an L, but right. it's really not. It's a dub, okay? Mm-hmm. Period. So, period. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, I did a little research on Crohn's disease because I've heard of it, sure. but wasn't, like, 100% sure about, like, what it was or what it affected. So, it affects your digestive tract, like, and yeah. that can lead into a host of other complications. So, you were diagnosed at age 12. Yes. So, how can you, if you feel comfortable, just talking sure. about your experience with it, kind of, like, when you found out how you felt, how you got through it. Because as yeah. you mentioned earlier, you had to, you were hospitalized right. and yeah, it was just a lot. So it is, it is a lot. So I always like, before I kind of like tell this story, I always tell people like, take a deep breath. Yes. 
because it is I I think like in the world we live in it is heavy but like in my world it's my life Mm -hmm. like so I was diagnosed with Crohn's at 12 years old and for people that don't know what Crohn's is it's an autoimmune disease um, and essentially my immune system attacks my digestive system Um, and they say that you have it for the rest of your life and it comes with a lot of like chronic pain Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of like you can't absorb nutrients from your food um, and you have problems using the bathroom and and it's extremely painful the biggest thing is that it's extremely painful and it's located in your abdomen so like think about just having a stomach ache constantly and a painful one at that and so when I started to get sick so my dad has Crohn's okay um so it's hereditary and it it's predominantly in Jewish and African-American communities. Um, And so when I ended up getting diagnosed, it wasn't a shock. Mm -hmm. It was almost like we just needed a confirmation because I was sick at home for a little bit of time where Mm -hmm. I was just, I was not well. Now, during that time, my parents um, had separated. Mm -hmm. My mother had basically like, I mean, escaped an extremely abusive situation and pretty much right when that occurred I began having symptoms so getting through it was not a thing up until my adulthood Mm -hmm. every year after 12 years old was like it was just surviving Mm -hmm. the pain and trying to be a teenage girl and like I Grew up in Inkster, Michigan, where, like, when I was growing up, it was predominantly black. Mm-hmm. There were other white people, and then there were mixed people. That was it. That's okay. all I knew. To moving out into a predominantly white area where, like, people ask you, like, what are you? Right. I had never heard that question before. Mm-hmm. I don't need the light skin fragility uh, uh, platoon on me or nothing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I had never been asked that yeah. because, to me, that's ignorant. Right. Like, But I didn't know. And so there were a lot of, um, you know, not seeing my dad, not understanding. I was a kid and then starting to get sick. It was Mm -hmm. a lot. And I I was not necessarily well watched either. Like my mom had to work, you know, now and my dad, um, bless his heart. You know, he encouraged me not to take medicine. Okay. And that oftentimes worsened my situation. Okay. He was very adamant about, like, my mind healing my body. And he was only partially right. You Mm -hmm. know, I was a kid. I didn't know what that meant. Right. And also I was, yeah. And I also, like, like, I'm living in a really crappy environment. You know, my mom can barely pay the bills. Okay. It's a lot. And so um, as I got older, I got sicker. But I my threshold became larger. So even though I was more sick, it was like I could withstand more. So like okay. when I graduated, I barely made it out of high school. Mm-hmm. I um I wrote, my, my counselor told me not to apply to university. So I wrote an essay to every university I could think of and applied to absurd colleges I could mm-hmm. never get into, y'all. <laughs> um, and I just told them my experience with Crohn's in high school. It was the first time I ever shared my mm-hmm. story. And... The head of admissions from OU called me, mm-hmm. and she was a black woman. Okay. And we met, and she her sister had Crohn's. And wow. it was the first time I had ever heard of a woman, let alone a black woman, having it outside mm-hmm. of me. And so it kind of, like, 
it's like interesting you know yeah. so i got into college so now i'm doing the college thing and i'm working and i'm just sick like yeah. i'm just really sick y'all but i'm functioning somehow some way and when i was 19 you know i was at probably my wor- i was at my worst mm-hmm. and um my bowel perforated in 2013. And so um, when I say that, you know, your digestive system is made up of your small intestine, your large mm-hmm. intestine. Um, my small intestine broke open. And my body, my abdominal cavity filled with bile, things that would harm. Right. Things that your organs are protecting you from. Right. And so I was going into septic shock, which is, you know, a death sentence. And... um I was hospitalized. I had two surgeries, mm-hmm. um, and I was on life support for about four days. Oh. And yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And that, but that's my life. That's mm-hmm. something that I really went through. Yeah, that's something that I really went through. And I, I tell the story so often, mm-hmm. and I know that people are just intaking it. But what I really encourage people is like realize that like. That happened. I went into the hospital at 115 pounds, and I woke up from that surgery at 190. Wow. Because of all the fluid. Like, they have to pump while while they're in surgery. Um, And I lost all my muscle. I developed extreme muscle atrophy. So my body was just like bone, fluid, skin, tendons. Mm -hmm. And I spent two months in the hospital, in and out of the ICU, with an open wound. Mm -hmm. And... Though that time defined a, a lot, it changed the trajectory of my life. Right. Um, trauma recovery wouldn't occur though until like two or three years after. Okay. That where I really had to like embark on this journey because I was, you know, after my surgery and just after like the years of chronic pain, I was mm-hmm. tired. Like, yeah. tired at 20. Like, I spent my 20th birthday in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the year, you know, in recovery, like physically, um, was difficult. And about a year after my surgery, I was suicidal. Okay. And not not in a way of like I was plotting or planning it, but in a way where I was, you know, coming around family and they were not treating me well. Okay. And it was triggering for me. And so that happened and I survived that. Mm-hmm. And that really was a moment for me where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, why I do not know yet, but let me, you know, begin. Right. And so the journey into like where I am now, I mean, it's been seven years since Mm -hmm. I've had that surgery, but it's been just like my wound, like my scar is healed. That's been the journey of like the emotional, you know, and I always tell people like it's before the surgery. Like Mm -hmm. it was those years from being a child of like not ever having any relief. Mm -hmm. That's what has cultivated kind of the strength. What happened then cultivated my softness because it, it broke me. Right. I was going to say it broke you all the way it down. It broke girl. me all the way <laughs> down. Okay. It made me tender. Yeah. Like it made me tender because life is so short. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, hanging on. And now I'm here. And I know you asked me, like, what was it like to, to have that? But I think a lot of people at Crohn's, one, they don't talk about it because yeah. they're embarrassed because it's a bathroom thing. Right. People be having all types of stomach issues with no illness. And I'd be like, okay, there ain't nothing, me. you know, okay, <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with it. But also, like, you know, 
not you know being able to talk about death in a yeah. and i know that it's not always a, possible to talk about it in a candid way mm-hmm. but a lot of survivors need space i can honestly say like i need space to talk about that because i'm here yeah so you know yeah so yeah thank you for asking me of that course. and holding the space yes of course and this is a safe space and a real is. safe space and it is <laughs> um because that was one of the things i was going to ask when i was writing it i was like is this an appropriate question? But I'm like, I think it it's is. It's kind of how I get down. Right. And then I was like, just thinking about you as a person. And I was like, I'm pretty sure people ask her this all the time. All the time. And talking about it is part of It's a part journey. of it's my a journey. It's part of you. And yeah. it's, it's healing for me. And a lot of people, you know, I wear my scar out. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid to address it. Every time I speak on it, I heal yeah. a small part of it. And as the years go on, I get like, you know, more resilient towards it. So in what ways, like what was your first kind of step you took in regaining control of your body? Because I also wanted to read this little excerpt from your website because I was just like, my girl be writing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you said my mind and body were completely disconnected. I had been cut open and poked and prodded at for months and going home with an IV pole, barely able to bathe myself, left me feeling like I didn't have a body of my own anymore. So to be 19, 20, and feeling like that. Like, I feel like that is normally the time where people really do start to, you know, feel themselves, right. take control of your body, start, you know, yeah. exploring and doing all of these right. other things. But meanwhile, you had a different experience. Yeah. So think, like, what was that first step of you being like, you know what? I don't know, like you said, what my purpose is just yet, but I know I have one. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to do first. Yeah. So before my before I had my surgery, I worked at a wellness studio kind of like it was like a private gym and they were implementing yoga Mm -hmm. and like I didn't know nothing about yoga and I had heard like it relaxes you and you know my dad was feeding me this message that like I just needed to relax and you know your mind so I'm like okay let me try this yoga thing I hated it um (laughs) I hated it couldn't touch my toes Mm because chronic pain will do that to you Um, and then I had my surgery. So it was a short experience with yoga, but I kept going back. Now I had my surgery and then, you know, in my recovery, I, I felt so like when I tell you, like, I did not feel in my body. Mm -hmm. It was like painful. Okay. It was like painful for me, not physically painful, but, but like, it just didn't feel right, mm-hmm. um, just everything that my body had gone through. So I remembered, you know, before my surgery, this this yoga thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't drive at the time. Well, I think I was able to start driving during this time so I could take my mom's car. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is almost a year later. So still when I'm, I'm suffering from depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I Googled the closest yoga studio. Cause I'm like, let me see. Yeah. And I find a Bikram studio. I don't know what Bikram is. Mm-hmm. I barely knew what the other shit that I was doing <laughs> before that was. So if y'all don't know what Bikram is, Bikram is a 105 degree room, 90 minutes, 26 postures done twice. My wound hadn't even fully closed oh yet. God. Like I still had like the center of my, <gasps> and I went to this hot and I couldn't believe it. I, I had paid online. Dang. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you like this? Yeah. But I didn't know what it was. And I got through, like, it's 90 minutes. I got through, 
I got to like literally the very end before I had to leave. Mm-hmm. But it like, girl, the, I and it's mirrored. Like there's yeah. mirrors. I could see myself. Mm-hmm. And like when you have no choice but to breathe in 105 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I was breathing and like out of breath and like yeah. wanting to pass out. But it was, wasn't because of my Crohn's and it wasn't because of what was happening mm-hmm. in the hospital. It was because I was doing yoga. Right. And it was like I could see myself. And it was the first time I could see myself in a in a minute. And I was still very depressed. Yeah. But even when I came out of that, I got right back into it. And mm-hmm. I, so when I talk to people about yoga, like I want them to, I really want to encourage people to get out of their head, like, this societal standard of like these poses and that's why I'd I'd say self-regulation because Mm -hmm. yoga facilitated a connection between my mind and my body. Mm -hmm. It gave way for me to breathe and move and stretch that tendon, those tendons and that fascia that had binded up from all of the impact I had taken. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yoga was the very first step, and and that's why I I, I I'm starting to use different language like um, restorative stretching. Okay. Because you know people don't the word yoga is just it definitely has a connotation. You, it has a connotation. Yeah, and you kind of like have this vision in your mind of like oh I'm about to be around a bunch of white girls and like you're gonna be in bliss. Yes. And like no. And if you don't do it regularly, that shit is hard. It. Hurts. Oh, yes. <laughs> it hurt me still. I'm, I'm still like... hurting. Listen, I always <laughs> say, like, what, what what y'all need to understand took me, I mean, I'm still enduring trauma, but, like, mm-hmm. the physical trauma to my body was, like, 15 years of my life. It's mm-hmm. going to take 15 years to probably undo that. Right. I've been in my yoga practice for about eight years. Yeah. Seven, eight years. So, you know, the the yoga is extremely powerful, but what I've learned and what my business is really like pivoted towards and just my purpose is the mindfulness. So like the breath work, mm-hmm. the guided meditation and the body scan work, because if you can breathe, you can do yoga. Okay. okay? If you can sit still, like if you can access stillness, mm-hmm. which is what the meditation is promoting, you can do yoga. Like yoga becomes more accessible because okay. I feel like a lot of people's deterrent is also they don't like to be still. They feel like it's moving too slow. It's a yeah. waste of their time. I feel the op- so the yoga classes that I have gone to, I always feel very like insecure because it seems like it's people that have been doing this for so long. I'm like, where is the like beginners beginner class? Yeah, and like- okay, and let me yeah, and let me clarify because there's so many different kinds of yoga. Right. I'm sorry, there's so many different kinds of yoga. The yoga I teach is is very slow mm-hmm. and very repetitive. Like if you come to my classes, like chances are like you're going to be doing a lot of those postures twice Mm -hmm. because you are not fully into them anyways i never understood and the classes you're talking about and there's no shame get your get your workout in Mm -hmm. a lot of those classes are are ego based um body based Mm -hmm. not breath based because how can you breathe if you're rushing and and you (laughs) and you're new yeah and also like if it is a predominantly white studio and they're not actively like um, if they're not active in anti-racism work in their community, mm-hmm. how can they facilitate a safe space for a black woman? Right. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. 
It's not possible. And that's why I try to tell people, you you don't just put one black employee up in there and say that you're doing it. You can't fool us. Okay, so why, you know, and that's actually, so what you just described about, like, that feeling of, like, insecurity, right? Like, that's a result of something. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, like, I'm concerned that yoga will will trigger people Mm -hmm. more than help. So that's why the mindfulness is coming more to the forefront of, Mm -hmm. like, how can we just get you to understand your breath and how much control you actually have over breathing and how much space you have in your body Mm -hmm. to breathe and what the breath actually triggers in the brain, you know, parasympathetic, nervous system, you know, rest, digestion, ease. Mm -hmm. You know, now, you know, yoga is less intimidating because you're more secure in your own body, period. Right. Like not worrying about like, oh, yeah. And there are a lot more black practitioners, yes, brown and black practitioners than there ever was before. Yeah, which I love to see. I'm like, yes, yeah. please. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, next question. Can you talk about the process of becoming a yoga instructor? I know there's like a certain amount of hours or something you have to like put in. Yeah. What was that like? Okay, because <laughs> I, I want to say two things, but I'm going to say the first thing first just okay. for good measure. Um, yeah, there, there's different hour sets. So like there's 200 hour, 500 hour, Mm -hmm. and those are the hours you have to accumulate in total, um, to, to receive your certification. And that basically looks like, and all trainings are different, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are, well, now we're in the era, like we're in COVID era now. So that would be virtual. But for when I was being trained, it was in person and it would be like days long. It'd be like four or five four days three or four days out of the week and you'd be there all day okay um practice yoga two or three times a day study the philosophy Mm -hmm. so on and so forth but typically your first training you leave you don't know how to teach not a not a damn thing okay (laughs) and then how they teach you know i'm speaking from i'm just speaking from a black woman's lens Mm -hmm. how they teach is not how i I get down i don't like teaching that way i don't teach in sanskrit I don't teach any philosophy of yoga, really, okay? because that's not native to me. Mm-hmm. That's not my culture. Right. I wanted I needed to understand the postures. But, you know, every every train is different. I I don't want to discredit any any certification or give mm-hmm. or give a ton of credit to a certification because um, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. So. The trauma-informed yoga certification, however, is really what ignited, like, my love to teach yoga. Um, Because I didn't understand before what yoga was doing for me Mm -hmm. until I went through this training for my kids at Downtown Boxing Gym. So in order to work with the kids better, I needed to take a trauma-informed yoga class um, training. And I did that, and I... It just opened my mind up. Like, it made me realize, like, oh, this is what yoga has been doing for me Mm -hmm. this whole time. And that's when I started to really study and do more trainings. And so that aspect, those are just continued education. And as a yoga instructor um, and as a practitioner, any type of body work specialist, like, you need to constantly be educating yourself and diving deeper Mm -hmm. into it like i'm constantly reading some people discredit reading nowadays i don't don't know reading that's the problem that's (laughs) that's what the motherfucking problem is right there we found it okay y'all don't read okay um 
so yeah, that that did that answer your question? It did. Okay. Don't get me started about books now. Okay. okay some of y'all, I'll be concerned. Okay. I'll be concerned about the grammar as some well. Some of them stopped reading after Charlotte's Web. Listen, and they probably didn't even get there. That was the, yeah, they like chapter books. We don't, mm-mm. We don't, we don't do <laughs> Why that. Why are we doing them like that? <laughs> we sorry. Um, so now that it's kind of sort of okay, well, I don't know, because cases are going back up, mm-hmm. but- Let's say a couple of weeks ago, a month or so ago, it was kind of okay for us to gather in like small groups. Yeah. Have you considered going back into a studio space or are you like doing home visits or is everything still very virtual for you right now? So I love the virtual space. Okay. It is my wheelhouse. It is, it makes sense mm-hmm. because, you know, during quarantine, we would we would be like 20 to 50 people deep in those lives doing mm-hmm. yoga meditation and throughout the weeks you know women and men but mostly women would post after their session their yoga session like their space mm-hmm. and it was like they had a little yoga a little yoga space mm-hmm. in their home and these are predominantly black and brown women um and and but Predominantly black and brown women. And what do I know about black and brown women is a lot of them don't like to go to the yoga studio. I never taught at a studio until, um, oops, until a year, uh, a year this past year. Okay. Like that was my first time ever in a studio setting. Um, Before I just did pop-ups. Okay. So for me, I really love the virtual space. Um, I did a couple um, stretch in the sun um, I did some cannabis events mm-hmm. when we were allowed to outside social distance. Yeah. No more than 20 people, okay. if even that. Um, but now that it's getting cold, mm-hmm. and and also, no, I'm not going back to a studio. That, that I decided a long time ago. Okay. Um, I don't enjoy the ripping and the running. Yeah. And I don't enjoy having to be in the same mood at the same time every day, every week. Mm-hmm. If, even if I'm not yeah, to teach people because I know that energy doesn't lie. Man. And there were times where I would go to teach where I knew I didn't have it. And people talk about, you just got to like scrummage it up. I'm trauma informed. I know that that's not possible. Again, okay. That's also the problem. Because okay. I don't have it. You're feeling a certain type of way. And I, yeah, I think that I also am guilty of that because right. You want to leave egos and feelings at the door because at least for me, and this also might be because I'm a cancer. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm always just like, y'all don't care about me for real. You don't have my best interest right. at heart. I'm just going to keep this to myself and like I'll vent to whoever at 530 sure. when I get off work. Like I don't like yeah. to, I try not to bring that energy into a certain space. But if you're feeling a certain type of way, yeah, you should just feel it. And I understand like it's a privilege. That's a, it's a privilege to mm-hmm. be able to do that. I understand like not everyone has the option to do that, but I had the option. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I can't, and I'm I just am not built that way. Yeah, my moon is in Cancer, okay. so my mood <laughs> and my emotions are all over the place. Okay, Man. and <laughs> I also Judy. yeah, and also like being like a chronic illness survivor and being in recovery. Like I need a lot of rest. Mm-hmm. I need um. Like my well, I'm very sensitive. So I realized like going in and out of the hot room was um, stimulating my nervous system. Okay. 
And when you stimulate the nervous system, you stimulate the immune system. Mm -hmm. The way my shit is set up is mine attacks me. So why would I, you know, I figured that out. Yeah. And those are things that I just feel like I can do without. Now, I launched my digital studio Mm -hmm. in August and I'm revamping it. So I moved it over to my body and that's launching again in november and those are pre pre pre-recorded classes and they're live Mm -hmm. so um you still get to interact with me you still get to see me and when it gets warm again we'll go back outside we'll do but in the in the colder months i don't even be wanting to go yeah out and that's the thing my biggest thing is yes i'm a yoga instructor but i do not live for my students or for other people Mm -hmm. i am not their guru i am not any they my the my guests the people that mess with me people that engage with me they mm-hmm. know they know how to do these things on their own yeah they don't need me if i woke up tomorrow and said i wanted to do something different everyone would still have my teachings with them mm-hmm. and they would know how to use them without me yeah i don't really i like making my own schedule i like the flexibility because i feel like that's kind of like the woman who's taking my class yeah she don't got it all the time. She don't got the energy all the time. <laughs> she might need that 8.30 class. She might need that 9 a.m. Yeah. breath work. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get so, it. So, yeah, that's the move right now. That's the, the plan. Okay. Yeah. That's a good plan. Um, I want to talk about the School of Radical Healing. Okay. This is your latest I'm most venture. Proud of. Yes. yes. Tell us all about it. So, you know, it's still it's new. So like let's just say like I just gave birth. Okay, okay. y'all. Congratulations. Okay. It has a name. <laughs> it has a name. School of Radical Healing. And essentially when I launched the digital studio, the digital studio didn't have a name. Okay. I was just gonna put everything under Adria. But mm-hmm. I was like, I'm a person. Yeah. And like I also have other things that I wanna do. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. In the midst of launching the digital studio, I'm um, cultivating a a trauma-informed teacher training. So I'm building out a curriculum to certify people through me. Okay. Or better yet, through the School of Radical Healing. Mm -hmm. So Radical Healing came about during quarantine um, after George Floyd passed away. And we black people were basically just being, like, dragged through everything every mm-hmm. which way um so i just launched something called radical healing where basically like we were in prayer meditations mm-hmm. like this was not your standard get down okay. of of mindfulness and wellness okay. we were speaking to the ancestors and reg and self-regulating Let's period and when i say radical healing like angela davis talks about like radical means to get to the root mm-hmm. that's why i talk a lot about the brain stem I talk about a lot about like our reptilian brain and how I, I talk about that stuff so that we can understand ourselves at a human design level. Mm-hmm. We are not what we do. We are not just yeah. our occupations. We're not just our kids and our family. Mm-hmm. We're literally designed so like like detailed to, and, and we have the power like within us. And so radical healing came from that. I launched a a newsletter that I couldn't really keep up. So I'm like, when I can't keep something up, like when something isn't just flowing from me, I know it's an indication that the creative energy is not, it's not present. And for me, it's not a matter of forcing it or it'll be here next week. Mm -hmm. It's, this isn't it, but radical healing is, it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be a newsletter. I'm building out this curriculum. I'm building out this curriculum. 
And I'm like, this is the School of Radical Healing. Mm-hmm. And the digital studio are classes yeah. at the School of Radical Healing. And the workshops, whatever else I decide to put into the school. And so that's really where it came from. And so people can now be become trauma-informed, mm-hmm. um, certified through me, through okay. the School of Radical Healing. Yeah. So can people still sign up? Are you like yeah. at capacity? Okay. So um I'm gonna be capping the December cohort very soon. Mm-hmm. Um the deadline for applications for December eleventh, I believe is the first of December. Okay. Um so you can still apply, you can apply through my website. Okay. And then it'll be relaunching probably in the spring. Okay. Um, and it'll all it's virtual. It'll okay. always be virtual. Okay. It's better virtual. I think because then people will be able to like access whenever And they're yeah. from all over. We have people okay. from in British Columbia oh, calling. Wow. We yeah, people are from all over and also it's we get into it. Mm-hmm. We get into the things. Okay. The first day is science. It's a lot of science. Mm-hmm. But then the next two days, because it's a weekend intensive, we get into the emotional body and we get into the shit. Okay. And you want to be at home because, in my opinion, or wherever you can, like, have comfort, mm-hmm. because you're going to need some comfort. You yeah. know, we take we take a lot of breaks throughout the day. The breaks are active, meaning, like, we do breath work and okay. things. But... It can become it's heavy shit because we are we're getting we're going past the surface, you know, like this country was built on white supremacy, lies, bigotry and racism. Mm -hmm. We're we're saying like no more. But that exists in all of the ways that we interact with each other. You know, so like I just shared with you about my surgery and overcoming this really big thing Mm -hmm. for a lot of people that might be like, that's too much. Like That's a lot. We should, I believe we should be normalizing these kinds of conversations because it's more common than we think. Yeah. And also all the spaces that we wish existed would probably exist. If there was not a shame or if, if there wasn't, wasn't shame. Yeah. Yeah. Like a taboo. Absolutely. Yeah. When you know damn well somebody you know, mama, mama and them around the way went through the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but. I was just like, you always feel like whatever you're going through, however you feel, you're on that island by yourself. Yeah. But there's probably like five people within your, it doesn't necessarily have to be immediate circle, but community. Yeah. That are literally, it might not look the exact same, but it's very similar. (laughs) You might be on that island and you go and you meet with the head of admissions on that island and she just tells you her sister has Crohn's. Yeah. And that can open up Mm -hmm. because there's a transparent exchange. Right. There's an honest exchange. She read my essay and she felt my pain. Mm-hmm. And so she made a decision. I ended up transferring to Wayne State. I got into the school of business. Mm-hmm. Only reason I dropped out was because I was going to the school of business to work on my business that was scaling. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I, right. I think I and got I, what I need. Yeah, and I had, I had professors <laughs> talking about, oh, you could teach this class. That's where they really had me messed up because. Don't, like, don't even say that. Don't even After say I've that. Thousands of dollars. Thousands. Okay. So. That's actually, that's funny because at my graduation, they gave an honorary degree to a woman that did not finish school. I say, are you, you are kidding me. You literally, like that was insulting I wouldn't even want me. one. That was so insulting. And, of course, it was a white woman. Like, she's sitting up here like, oh, my junior year, I got an internship at National Geographic, and I got a full-time job after that. So, 
So you needed the degree? See, this is what I don't That's like. That's what I'm saying. So like, let me come back because you know you'll take me there. I I literally I was like I, my I'm pissed, so my parents have to be pissed, right? Because it's your money. Period. <laughs> Y'all paid hundred yeah. a couple hundred thousand dollars for me to go to school, and this woman is sitting up here talking like. Oh, my junior year, I dropped out and started working full time. And now here I am at the school. Well, I, mean, I, I wouldn't even from. want the degree. Girl. Because oh. I feel for y'all. But yeah, I just, I basically. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Jeez. That was trauma. See? See? You see how quick her. Okay. You notice how she started talking a little bit faster. Her voice yeah. went up a couple octaves. Started talking about her mama and her daddy. I couldn't That's how you know somebody is upset. Okay. And you had every right to be. Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> so how does one know when they have healed from something? You're never done. Okay. I my friend just my friend said something so profound to me yesterday. He said, You have taught me that healing mm-hmm. is, to be healed is not like a you know, you get hurt, you go through the process, then you're healed. He's like, You've taught me like what it means to be healing. Okay. Like you're gonna do it to the day you are called home. You're going to cut where you don't like childhood trauma isn't the only trauma. We're not healing from some dark entity. Yeah. We're healing literally things seen and unseen. Mm-hmm. I, I told my half the shit that that you healing ain't even yours. Okay. It's your ancestors. It's in your DNA. It's on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. It's in your cells. Yeah. We were just talking about before we started recording, guys, about how black people have trauma when it comes to the doctor. And yeah. I can relate because I hate going. To the yeah. Yeah. And I was and I'm just I was just explaining how like there's a term called like fear of the healer. And I learned this term in my doula ship training mm-hmm. um, because I recently became a doula. Yay. And yeah, which is super exciting because we about to get to the trauma at the birth. OK, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm like, okay, I might not be able to be there while y'all have sex to make sure that the trauma isn't present, but what can we do to really be at the birth to reel this in? Because we have to understand it's happening literally at conception. Yes. It's happening during the pregnancy, at birth, what mom mom and baby go through mm-hmm. um, in order to make it happen. So anyways, um, what was your question? We were talking about how people know when they're right oh and 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 the fear fear of the healer so i forget what the phobia is called it's on the tip of my tongue but i I don't want to miss miss say it so it's called fear of the healer and essentially it's a result of just all of the the wrongdoing the the horrid things that happened to Mm -hmm. predominantly black and brown women during slavery that basically developed the healthcare system that we know um today and so we have this fear of going to the doctor but I also think we have a greater fear of um our own uh, what we are capable of I mm-hmm. think um being afraid of yoga as a black or brown person is fear of healing um meditation you know I've I've done guided meditation and yoga with uh like church women who okay. really get it they get it they don't get caught up in the namastes mm-hmm. they understand that they need to stretch their bodies and they need to be breathing and that that's good for them okay and so kind of breaking down those barriers like is so important to yeah. me um so that our people can have resources that that they deserve I never understood the barrier between someone and their well-being yeah i always say like the last thing they gonna get is my nervous system because that's what they want if they can if they can come and take over your nervous system 
it's a wrap. It's like they got um, you. The Matrix. Yes, but also, <laughs> what movie am I thinking of with Jordan Peele? Oh, Get Out. That's yeah, like a host yeah. almost, like a host. Yeah. And that's really that's that's really at the the root of it. So yeah, you're never like healing is not a destination; it's a mm-hmm. journey. And that's cliche to some people, but that's the realest shit right there. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. I wasn't for sure. I was, like, trying to think of what you might say. Like, oh, you know, when you're healed, you can do X, Y, and Z without crying or, like, getting emotional. I mean, there are things that occur, like, as you... Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you just said that because there are things that occur. Like, I just shared that story with you mm-hmm. about all the things I went through. I used to not be able to tell that story without crying. Okay. Now there's less of a charge and that happens through recovery, though. Like, if I wasn't in therapy, mm-hmm. if I wasn't practicing mindfulness these last seven years, if I wasn't, you know, taking care of my body, I probably would still have that charge in my body. And yeah. I'd probably be crying about what happened to me seven years ago. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with crying about what happened to you seven years yeah. ago, by the way, because I do do cry about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, it's not a triggering right. cry. It's yeah. like a, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm, I'm looking back. Um, and also, like, my body has taught me a lot about healing, mm-hmm. you know, because people see my scar, so they assume my wound is healed. Right. But I see my scar every year, and I know that it changes, which means it's still healing. Right. Which means I'm still healing. Mm-hmm. And I want to be healing for till the end of time. I don't want it to be over, because then what? Yeah. Right. Where do you go? Then what? What is that? What is that? I, no one knows what that even fully looks like. I feel like, like that is like a state of like being stagnant. No one no. actually knows what that looks like. That's true. Because it don't exist. <laughs> it's not real. Okay. Next question. Aside from yoga, how do you keep yourself centered and grounded? Oh, child. Um, <laughs> family. Okay. Family. Um, I'm a loner. Like I'm a loner. And then when I'm not a loner. But even when I'm. Even when I'm not, I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be at a spot with people, and I'll, but I'll be alone. Yeah. And with that, like, that keeps me centered. I prefer to be alone because I'm very sensitive. I deal with a lot of people's shit on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I take on people's things because they, they need me to in the moment, and it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but family keeps me, like, so grounded because... They are my start to finish. Like, they've seen me from the start, and they'll see me when I'm finished, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. And they know me, and so I don't ever have to, like, worry. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just grounded. Um, I cook a lot. I do a lot of things that I don't post. I do a lot of shit that I don't post. I cook a lot. I cook a lot of vegan food. I love to cook. I love to paint. Mm -hmm. I do puzzles sometimes mm-hmm. um and i enjoy like being around people that have conversations like the one we're having thank you girl that's yeah. so oof, conversation is definitely a big thing for that's me, huge I, for me the surface level talk and like <laughs> we girl. do a lot of that sometimes because we have so many like video calls and zoom calls for work and you know like when you're waiting on that last person to join and it's, it's just like default like, yeah it's like that Oh, it's so cold outside today. And it's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm aware. Literally. But, yeah, I love, like, just sitting and talking to people like yeah. you about them. Like, that's been very fulfilling. Absolutely. Me. Um, Next one. 
How can people start to practice mindfulness daily? So if someone is not used to it or want to get into it, what are some things that they can start doing? Um, so mindfulness is just like the the art of knowing that you're doing something. Mm-hmm. So like right now I'm aware that I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. I'm being mindful. That's the first place to start because people don't, people always talk about what they're not doing. Okay. But they never want to talk about what they are doing. And yeah. it's like, notice when you're aware. Like, no, like sometimes when I'm breathing, I'm like, I'm happy that I'm breathing. Okay. Like I'm happy that my breath is flowing through my body. That's mindfulness. Okay. And those little things are are being sent to your brain. In the same way we take on trauma and the and the body keeps the score and the brain downloads, we can do that with healing and we can do that with with feel good mm-hmm. shit basically. And so the brain is downloading these 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 mindful moments that you're having. The second thing is to take three minutes, three to five minutes out of your day, set a timer, sit down, and focus on your breathing. If you don't have time for yourself like that, I don't understand. You don't care about yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say it straight up. The other percentage of the day, when you're involuntarily breathing, you don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Five minutes. Five minutes out of your day to yeah. to value this life force that you can live without food, water for a little bit. You can live mm-hmm. without love. I mean, a lot of us went through quarantine alone. <laughs> right. You can live without love for a minute, but you are you are not here without the breath. Right. So there's a certain reverence that I encourage people to have. It doesn't have to be meditation. It can literally just be you sitting on a couch five minutes. And you are noticing your breathing. Mm-hmm. Give that to yourself. Give that to yourself every day, okay. like a little gift. Should we be doing like long inhales and exhales, or however? I would just just focus on your breath. Okay. Just focus on your breath, because a lot of people then they start focusing on: Am I breathing long enough? Yes. Am I doing that? <laughs> no, just notice. Breathe. Okay. And then when you're ready, come and find me and join the digital studio so that we can start. To lengthen the breath and deepen the breath. Okay. We can do that. Okay. One more question before we get into our listener questions. Well, you kind of talked about this already, but I'm going to ask anyway. So we talked about transparency. Okay. I love how transparent you are. (laughs) So how did you, I guess, how and when was the moment where you were just like, I am comfortable talking about all of the things that I went through. I am perfectly okay with this. Was there like a light bulb moment where you were like, I'm about to tell everybody that will listen my story. And be um, so there were okay. I had I've had a few of I had a few of those moments. Okay, they were like a series of moments. Like they had to happen back to back to back in order to get me to do it. So like one of the first moments was like in the yoga room. Mm-hmm. I took my shirt off for the first time and saw my scar mm-hmm. and that. That did something for me to be in public and kind of be revealed in that way. Because it really comes down to my scar. I've always been outspoken. Mm -hmm. I've been outspoken my whole life. My mom tells me I've always had this moxie. That's what she calls it. And um, Nobody ever uses that word anymore. It's a good word. (laughs) Yeah, and I I stayed safe in my childhood by speaking up. That's how I survived. So being transparent, boom. Also, when you are, like, in the healthcare system, like, in there, I always tell people, like, 
I'm coming out of the jail that is the healthcare mm-hmm. system after 15 years of doing time. <laughs> they poke pride, and when you have a digestive illness, they they all up. They you yeah. can't you don't get to hide nothing. Yeah. So that was one thing that kind of like I had to become that way. But after I had my scar, I remember one day I went to the mirror and I looked at my scar, and this was a real conversation I had with myself, and I was just like, you know. You're going to have to look at this every yeah. day. This is your body. There were people asking me if I was going to get plastic surgery, but why would I go back underneath a knife? Right. That doesn't make any sense um, because people don't value the trauma. They value the other shit. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to look at this. So I put a two-piece bikini on, okay. and I walked my ass up to the local pool with my scar out and I sat there and people came in and they stared mm-hmm. and I got in the water and I just every day exposed it because mm-hmm. so what am I going to do hide from myself be a right. shit I just I've I just after everything I had gone through I just felt no shame I felt like a warrior mm-hmm. and I have warrior tattooed above my scar in Arabic because mm-hmm. What I went through, people don't make it out of, and I yeah. made it out. So I was like, okay, bet. This is my battle wound. Mm-hmm. This is my battle wound, and guess what? Somebody like it, okay? <laughs> That's why I saw somebody like it. Um, and being transparent has, has allowed other people to to be free within themselves, and that's mm-hmm. always a benefit for me. Yeah. Um, to, to inspire that in somebody or to unlock that in somebody. Right. For sure. Okay, let's see my question. Okay, listener questions. Um, Bailey wants to know, what is your favorite yoga style and pose? Um, I love yin yoga. So yin yoga is a restorative base practice designed to get into the deeper connected tissues of the body. Mm -hmm. So like it goes beyond the superficial layer that a Bikram or a Vinyasa would target. And we hold postures like from three to five minutes. And I think like one of my favorites recently, they change up, is reclining heroes pose. Okay. If you don't know what that is, Google, Google gonna help you. Yes. Praise God. I will Google Okay. <laughs> Amara wants to know, do you like to have music playing in your sessions? And if so, what are your favorite, um, who are your favorite artists or what is your favorite genre? And how do you think music enhances that flow? In my personal practice, like when I'm alone, I like music. Okay. It it does something for me. I don't get caught up in words and stuff. I get caught up in the energy and okay. the sound and if the and I use all different types of music. It's hard for me. My Spotify is public though. Okay. Um I use all I I'll use like healing frequencies which are like hertz basically and they're very low vibrational mm-hmm. and I'll do a flow to like some hip hop too. Okay. When I teach, however, it's more like alternative or like jazz or lo fi. Mm-hmm. And I keep the music low because I'm like, I'm very teachy when I teach. I'm very like, I need you to understand what I'm saying so Mm -hmm. that when you are in the posture, you're going to get the biggest benefit. And then I'll turn the music up. Okay. That's how I am. Yeah. And I do think it enhances the experience. I think so too. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for those listener questions, friends. And then these are my last ones for you. Okay. Where would you like for your journey to take you next? Oh, um, I have a lot of, a lot of places in my mind Mm -hmm. 
Um, the biggest thing, like the next couple years, I want to really dedicate my time and my energy to creating more trauma informed humans mm -hmm. um, as many as I can and growing that. I also want to create a platform for black and brown women who are becoming yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, wellness, anything, kind of giving them like free game mm -hmm. of how to um, create a business because it's very hard to sell something that you cannot see. Right. People healing. I'm selling healing. <laughs> I'm selling healing. Okay. People that's, that's some shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and also like, I want to be a mom. Like mm -hmm. my journey isn't all about like, my career, mm -hmm. um, I want to be a mother. And I want to, you know, I want to do a lot of speaking. Like, I, I've always seen a vision of me traveling and teaching this globally um, so that it's that it's well-known. And it's well-known in certain areas of the world, mm -hmm. but not it's not, not enough, and not by enough black and brown women at the forefront of it. So um, I see my journey just taking me, further and deeper into creating more self-aware human beings mm -hmm. and not creating more, inspiring more, Yeah, you know, leading more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does it mean for you to be a damsel in Detroit? This is the question that everyone gets asked. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> oh, I love that question. Okay. Well, first of all, when I think of damsel, I think of, um, I forget her name off of Hercules. Oh, uh, Meg. Meg. Yes. Okay. I think of Meg. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, damsel in distress. Okay. But then I'm like, okay, damsel in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel like what it feels like for me is, oh, like I love that question so much. Let me think Girl, of She's smiling so big. We love it. Because <laughs> I feel like, I feel like Detroit women are like fearless and like, the hustle that we tap into is just different. Like we, we inspire the hustle because I when so when I think of damsel in Detroit, I feel like I am this goddess entity in this hard city, but this mm -hmm. hard city like takes care of me and allows me to integrate my teaching. So it has, a, has facilitated so many safe spaces for me. Mm -hmm. um, so it means to really like be myself. That's what it means Hello. for me. Come yeah. on, goddess. Okay. <laughs> and lastly, where can people connect with you on social and on the web? Well, y'all know I love me some Instagram <laughs> at Adria Moses. Um, my website, adriamoses.com, has all of the resources. That's going to be like a really big recommendation. Um, and yeah, I would say those two, not to lead you too far, too yeah. far astray. Yeah, your website is pretty all encompassing. I feel yeah, like. and I'm adding some more in the next coming weeks. So, oh, yeah. Getting it together. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Um, I hope you guys learned a lot because I learned a lot, especially about what trauma-informed healing means because I didn't know. I was like, I kind of have an idea, but you really That's so exciting. broke it down. So Good. That's good practice for yes. me. Okay? Okay. Period. Thank you. Um, well, thanks for listening, y'all. As always, I want you to remember that Detroit girls do it better, and we'll be back next week.